Hello, everyone. Good to see your faces today. I apologize that some of the slides earlier um, had been updated, but for some reason, um, our software did not update them properly. So just a reminder that the church business meeting tomorrow, um, as Sharon said, is not going to be here, uh, but it will be on Zoom as we a few people online. You it's okay because you're having a discussion and they can be included. But when you have more people on Zoom than you have in person, it makes it a bit challenging for everyone to be able to hear each other. So we decided we're just going to have it only on Zoom. Um, and so uh, please don't come here tomorrow. Um, join us on Zoom and we'll be able to have our church business meeting that way. So last week, Roy shared a little brief history of, um, the, of, our, of Melbourne City Adventist Church and the vision and the mission and the values that um, shaped our church for the past eight years. Um, and tomorrow, as I said, we're going to be talking about the direction of our church for the next five years. And it's kind of, um, you know, it's a reboot, right? The pandemic has definitely changed a lot of things, and it's an opportunity for us to to um, really focus and, and look at our strategies for the next five years as a church. Originally, I was going to talk about the Bible and culture today, but um, I decided midweek to change the topic um, as I was thinking about the church business meeting and thinking about uh, what we've been talking about for the past several months when it comes to mission, when it comes to God's purpose for us as a community. And so today I'm going to be visiting the question, why church? Why church? Why attend church? Why belong to church? Why serve in the church? Why church? The 2021 Australian census data revealed that out of 25 million Australians, 43.9% or about 11.1 million people identify as Christians in Australia. Now, while this is a lot of people, um, and even though Christianity is still Australia's most common religion, the truth is that it has been declining over the years. And so since the 2016 census, one million less people identify as Christian. Meanwhile, the rising group is the 10 million Australians um, who report as having no religion, which is 38.9%. Um, you can see that there are 3.2% um, who are part of the Islamic faith, 2.7% uh, for Hinduism, 2.4% for Buddhism, and the 89 are basically others or people who chose not to answer the question at all. Now, when you look at the religious affiliation of Australians by age, the most Christian age group are 55 and above, and the least Christian group are millennials aged 25 to 39. And according to the National Church Life Survey, about 21% of Australians attend church services at least once a month. That's about one out of every five Australians. As for those who attend church every week, it's 7%, so uh, even, even less so. Now, as I was researching all this and, and looking into uh, church and church life in Australia, I discovered, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. Uh, roughly how many churches do you think are in Australia? Shout out a number. We've got a small group here today. Guess, your best guess. 500 says K, okay. Good guess. Anyone else? More, less? In Australia as a whole. Well, let me, let me give you a few numbers and see if you can, you can um, how many Woolworths supermarkets do you think are in Australia? I'll tell you, 1,451, okay? There are 1,451 Woolworths supermarkets in all of Australia. 
Coal supermarkets, there's 1,715, so a bit more than Woolies. Local post offices, how many local post offices do you think there are in Australia? Shandon, you might know this answer. <laughs> no? Um, 4,320. 4,320 local post offices. How many service stations do you think there are in Australia? 7,200. So let me come back to the question. How many local churches do you think there are? More or less than post offices and service stations? 11,400 local churches. There are 11,400 local churches in Australia. And when I was researching this, it really surprised me. Why? Because we notice I expected more coals and woolies. I expected um, more service stations because we see them all the time. We notice them all the time. We go to them all the time. 11,400 local churches in Australia. And some of those churches have multiple services um, on weekends and etc. And my question is, the 11.1 million Australian Christians, do they belong to the 11,400 local churches? I did the math, and if you average it out, that's about 900, about 950 people per church. Now, mind you, there are some mega churches, Planet Shakers and um, Hillsongs. They have like 40,000 members, and so, you know, give or take the average, but where are the 11.1 million Christians in Australia? It doesn't feel like there are that many. It doesn't feel like there are that many churches compared to local service stations. What is the purpose of the church and why does it matter? First of all, church is not a location or an event. It's not the building, nor the institution, nor the worship service. Church is a community of people who come together to worship, fellowship, celebrate, serve, learn, grow, and work together to honor God and to glorify him. In other words, to make God known, to portray him rightly to others so they could get to know him as well. The Greek word that is translated into the English church is the, is the Greek word ecclesia, which in the Greek, not just in the New Testament times, but um, in ancient Greek times, Greek times, was used to describe an assembly of citizens called out of their homes to meet in public to discuss various agenda items. And ecclesia literally means called out. So they would say, hey, we're having an assembly, we're having an ecclesia, and they would call you out to gather together. And in the New Testament, Jesus and his followers used this Greek word to describe the church. It's a calling out of people from the homes into a gathering where they're able to talk about the story of Jesus. The first time we see this word used in the Bible is when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's asking them, hey, who do people think and say that I am? And different people said different things. Oh, some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And then he asks the question, but what about you? You've been following me. You've been spending time with me. Who do you say that I am? And one of his disciples named Simon Peter answers and says in Matthew 16, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter, 
and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, Jesus introduces this concept of a called-out people, and those called-out people are people who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And on that foundation, the church is built. This idea of Jesus being the cornerstone, this rock, and each person then building upon that foundation is one of the many metaphors that is found in the Bible about the church. Here's another one. Speaking to the church in Ephesus, Paul, who was the first century Christian church planter, wrote, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ephesians 2.20 Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Notice how in this one passage you, you have multiple metaphors going on. On the one hand, he says, hey, through church, we become fellow citizens. Citizenship brings privileges as well as responsibilities, right? Things like accountability to each other, a code of conduct in how we treat one another, participation in the kind of culture that we create collectively. Just as next week, we're all going to be participating in the Victorian elections, in the church, you also get a say in the strategies and ministries of the church. So if you care about something, right, that's being done or not being done, you can do something about it. You have agency in the church. I remember when Shendin and Naomi and Andrew noticed that um, there wasn't a recycling bin inside this church. And so they made a box that we now use every week. Florin and Crystal have taken nibbles to the next level. I remember the day when uh, Dave and Sue bought the bike that is now outside the front. You know, they decorated. That was their initiative. Uh, James and Ketson, you know, they're the ones that say, hey, this software is going to be better for slides and live streaming. This, this plug-in, I don't know, all the techie stuff is going to be better for our website. During the pandemic, I remember a few people made Instagram Bible verses and graphics that we were able to share online. There are endless possibilities and opportunities to make a difference when you are part of a church. Through church, we also become members of the household of God. We become a new family, not by marriage or birth or adoption, but by the Holy Spirit who makes us all children of God. A family is designed to be people who love you unconditionally and who provide support and sanctuary when you're in need. And the truth is, no family is perfect, and every family has to work through difficult interpersonal relationships. But God calls us to work through those challenges and learn to love and respect and support each other. So he says in Ephesians 4, verses 2 to 6, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in, and in all. The refrain that you're going to see over and over and over again when, when, when um, the early Christians are talking about the church is the importance of humility, patience, forgiveness. 
because the church is the one place in society where you had people from all backgrounds and all social economic, you know, stratosphere. People who had different political opinions, people who had different social standings, people who had different personalities can gather together for a common purpose. And the temptation is when you are in this eclectic, diverse body, the temptation is either to um, have a power struggle or to hide away. And the temptation when, when in conflict or when there's disagreement or when there's challenges, you know, coming together, the temptation to leave or the temptation to fight, right? That temptation is real. And Jesus knew this. And so, you know, in one of the recorded prayers of Jesus that we have in the Bible, he prays for a few things. And one of the things he prays for is unity. In John chapter 17, oh, let me go back. Missing. Okay. John chapter 17, he prays for unity. He says, um, I, I pray that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We live in a world that is incredibly divided, right? When it comes to politics and ideologies and worldviews and sports teams and prejudices, we, we like to draw boundaries. And we live very much in an echo chamber, whether online or in person, where we tend to mingle and stick to those of our own kind. So we hear only our own thoughts and perspectives echoed back to us by the people who are like us. But that doesn't stretch and grow our capacity to love or empathize or, or uh, expand our own perspective. And so the church is a very, very needed place in society today where we can come together and actually challenge and expand our thinking, our understanding, our perspective, and to be able to grow together to inspire and encourage one another, and to redefine what, who is our neighbor. And this unity takes time and prayer and effort and commitment to loving God and loving each other. You know, Jesus' 12 closest followers struggled to have unity. On the one hand, you had Peter, the impulsive fisherman, alongside Matthew, the rich young professional. There was Simon, the zealot, whose politics was on the other extreme of Nathaniel. There was Thomas, the skeptic, who was very risk-averse. Meanwhile, James and John were called sons of thunder because of their temper and their tendency to kind of jump in, all in. These individuals did not see eye to eye, and they argued, and they fought, and they gossiped, and they grumbled, and it is to them and to us that Jesus says, A new command I give to you, John 13, 34, and 35, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, one of the reasons why people are turned off from church is because they know that there is so much conflict within, right? They already have conflict outside, and they don't want to belong to something that is going to be another stressor. But what if church was truly a place where people of all backgrounds were accepted, 
right? The winners and the losers, the weirdos and the misfits, the success, the successful, <laughs> as well as those who are down and out, that everyone can come together on an equal footing before the cross. And that's what Jesus does. That when we come before him, right, at the foot of the cross, there is no hierarchy. There is no this and that. Right? Galatians says there is no male or female, free or, or, or slave. None of that matters when we're before Jesus. Because before Jesus, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. There's that verse that we love quoting when there's a few of people present. We, we love quoting about how when the two or three are gathered, God is there in the midst of them. But if you keep reading the rest of that passage, hold on. What's happened to my slides? There you go. Um, again, truly I tell you that if two or, or of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. But where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So we love that part. And we stop there. But look at what it says. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Why is that relevant? Because God knows that two or three gathering together means there's going to be interpersonal conflict. God knows that when two or three are gathered together, not, they're not always going to be in unity. I don't know about you, but I've been married for 10 years. We're not always agreeing, right? There's... There's going to be times when you have to go through conflict, work through conflict, and where you have to forgive. Not seven times, not 70 times, but 70 times seven. In other words, you don't keep counting. You, you just have to forgive again and again and again. But in that healing, in that reconciliation, in that storming but then you know resolving phase, the miracle of unity happens. Whether it's in a marriage or whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in church, when that unity happens, that's when you know something special is happening. Let me go back to this quote here. David Kinneman from the Barna Group said, Church is a place that it is meant to be very different from anything else we may experience. Other institutions of family or workplace or social clubs because it connects people across boundaries. It's a beautiful expression of what human relationships ought to look like between people of different age groups, genders, racial and ethnic backgrounds, vocational arenas. It's a great example of why we have to keep pursuing the church in its ideal form. The church is a laboratory for unity. It's where we learn to love the unlovable and forgive the unfor unforgivable. It's where we fail but have a safe space to try again. It's where we discover just how much we need God and where we can be encouraged and inspired by each other to keep our focus on him. So that when we go into our workplace and our schools, we know how to treat those who are difficult because we've learned it here. So that when we're discouraged or frustrated in our, in our own lives and homes, we know how to find peace because we learned it here. So that when we are in our communities, we are galvanized to service and helping others because we learned it here. The Bible illustrates the kind of unity that, he, that God wants us to have by using the metaphor of the body. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the metaphor of the church, that we are a body of Christ where every single person matters. Yes, we all have different functions and roles, but every single person matters. I really like this picture um, where each person represents one part of the picture of Christ. And it's when we are interconnected, interdependent, working together, it is then that we form a composite picture of Jesus that we then portray to the rest of the world. Right? Each of those little squares is, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but each of those little squares is a picture of someone. And each of us has a unique life story, life experience, and giftedness that we only we have that we are able to reflect that part of God to the world. Imagine if that one little piece is missing, right? The picture of Jesus is not complete for the world. Now, I'm not talking about coming in person to Saturday services because you may be ill or you may be a caretaker, you may be traveling. I'm talking about belonging to the church body, right? I'm talking about engaging with others in our church community. I'm talking about your prayers for each other, your encouragement for each other through phone calls and social media during the week. There are things that even if you cannot physically come in person somewhere, there are ways that you can be a part of this body. Write us a blog or reflections for our church website. Send us a video recording of your testimony that we can share. There are ways that you can engage with this church community, even if you cannot physically be a part of our weekly gatherings. As for those who can come in person, we need you to do more than listen, right? And, and that's great. But church is not a spectator sport. Church is actually um, the team itself where you have a part to play. And so come and welcome the new visitors. Engage with those who are not as connected. Encourage those who are discouraged. Invite your family and friends and colleagues to come along. Serve on a ministry team. Church becomes much more meaningful as you engage with people and contribute rather than just being a consumer. We all have something to give, and in so doing, we grow as disciples. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, when each of us does our part, that's when the whole body can grow and be healthy and thrive. On the other hand, if you're having a hard time loving people, if you're, feeling, if you're struggling to feel connected to God, if you're struggling to share your faith, it may be that you're not engaging with church and it's impacting your personal relationship with God. During the past few years, due to the pandemic, we haven't been able to come together in person in the same way. And the National Church Life Survey uh, that is conducted in Australia every year, they noticed a correlation between growth in faith and time spent in community. Dr. John Bellamy wrote, We noted that among people who had left church life, their adherence, their holding on to Christian beliefs, appears to diminish as time goes on. We noted a fairly clear linear relationship between the length of time they were out of church life and whether or not they held Orthodox Christian beliefs. That says to us that involvement in a congregation is important to the building of that kind of faith and indeed the maintenance of it. In other words, very few of us can be in isolation right, away from everybody and still have a dynamic faith. God designed Christians to be in a community of faith and that it's, it's, that's the avenue and the, and the method by which we grow closer to God as we grow closer to each other. Jesus wanted us to grow and multiply as disciples in community. And the truth is we need each other because we cannot be all things to all people, right? We need people who are really good empathizers and listeners and comforters, as well as those who are really outgoing and, and loud and, you know, um, dynamic. We need those who are musical. You know, it's so interesting in, in the questionnaire. Not everyone has filled it out yet, but a lot of people who filled it out were saying that they want more music. And it's like, yes, we need more musical people. <laughs> we need people who are committed to um, to doing the music and and uh, being able to to bring it together for us and I'm sure God will provide but there's we need all kinds of people to make this body of Christ work to be able to provide the different ministries that this uh, that this body needs and that this community outside of the church needs as we portray the picture of Christ as we serve we grow together as we come together and engage with those who are seeking God, we, the body of Christ, no longer becomes a fixed point in time, no longer becomes something that we attend, but that, that's when it becomes meaningful. Uh, that's when it, it actually transforms us. That's when Christianity matters to the community around us. In Ephesians 2, James, I can't get to the next slide for some reason. Okay, there you go. Ephesians 2, 10, Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That phrase, we are his workmanship, is derived from the workmanship uh, Greek word. It's derived from the Greek word poeo, where we get poetry. And in Max Lucado, in his book, Grace for the Moment, he wrote how the church is a poem. Each one of us is a word, and it's only when we come together that there's meter and rhyme and meaning. He writes, God uses all types to type his message. Logical thinkers, emotional worshipers, dynamic leaders, 
docile followers, the visionaries who lead, the studious who ponder, the generous who pay the bills. Alone, we are meaningless symbols on a page, but collectively, we inspire. Why church? Because it's where God wants us to be. It's his studio where he is molding us into a masterpiece to present to the world so that the world can see him. It's God's workshed where he's crafting us together to be his temple. For too long, why church was really based on these questions. What's most comfortable? What's most agreeable? What's most convenient? What's in it for me? But these are not the right questions. Australian pastor and author Mark Sayers writes, that he's noticed over the years a disappearance of a mode of church engagement characterized by commitment, resilience, and sacrifice among many Western believers. And instead, there is a new mode of disengaged Christian faith and church interaction, characterized by sporadic engagement, passivity, commitment phobia, and a consumerist framework. No wonder the church is declining in the West. Because church has become a product of goods and services designed and marketed to have customer satisfaction. Rather than being a breathing, moving, messy body of believers who are growing as disciples. Nils von Kamm wrote, ultimately going to church is about growth into Christ-likeness. And then learning how to reflect that Christ-likeness out into the world. Churches that look inward and focus on survival are the ones that die. Churches that come together as a loved and loving community look outward into Christ-like mission, thrive. You see, when we come, when we understand what church is, right, that it is a body of believers who have a new identity as children of God and have a new purpose in growing and multiplying disciples, then church is no longer about what what can I get out of it, but it's about what can I give and how can we grow together and give together? And the irony is that in giving, you receive so much more. Christ embodied a sacrificial and loving example of servant's commitment, but because he did so, he gained his bride, the church. When we are willing to approach church in that way of, I'm a, I'm a part of this team, I'm a part of this body, how can I engage, how can I give, how can I serve? You might find that you actually are so much more blessed in return. I know that I have. I've gained a new family here with all of you. And I am blessed all the time by ministry. So I want to leave you with this passage in Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Would you please bow your heads with me for prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, um, it's easy to be distracted by the purpose of church or um, church attendance or to think of church as a place or location. But Father, help us to remember and and to keep in mind and and to um, really ponder what it means to be church, to be a part of a community 
what, what our privileges are, what our responsibilities are, what, what it means to commit and, and make a difference and to be impacted and transformed by the community. And Father, I want to pray that as we have our meeting tomorrow and as we are um, discussing the next steps for our church, that your Holy Spirit would give us clarity and unity and wisdom as we move forward. And Father, I want to just take a moment now for, to everyone, for, so for everyone to have a silent moment of prayer where we can, um, at this time, just reflect on what your Holy Spirit is convicting us. And so I just want to take a few minutes of silent prayer time now. Father God, I just want to pray that we would ask more often the question, God, what can I do for you? And God, what can I do for your people? And I pray that you would convict us and that we would have the courage and conviction to obey. I just want to end with a reading from Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And only... Um, so it's on Zoom, and if you don't have the Zoom link, um, let me know, and I'll I'll send it to you. Um, we look forward to being able to discuss further. Thank you all for coming.